Welcome to Author in Your Classroom from Plazoon. My name is Helen Mully, and the author joining you in your classroom, wherever that might be at the moment, for this episode is the enormously talented Jamie Littler. Welcome to the podcast, Jamie. Hello, thanks so much for having me. So it's, it's a pleasure to be here. Our oh, pleasure's all mine. Now, listeners, you may not be familiar with Jamie's name in the world of books yet. But I would be very, very surprised if many of you listening to this haven't seen and enjoyed his illustrations. In fact, if any of you are fans of the Phoenix comic, you might remember a really good series, Cog and Sprocket, which ran for two years. That was Jamie. And then in terms of writers you've worked with, we've got Danny Wallace, Philip Arder, Ella Denton, Barry Hutchinson, and loads more. Yeah. And then, as if being fabulously gifted at drawing weren't enough, it turns out that Jamie can write too. So in October 2019, his first solo book was published. It's called Frostheart, and it is an absolutely captivating fantasy adventure set in a world of snow and ice, magic and monsters. It is a joy to read. It kept me completely gripped. It it really did. And looking forward to a sequel, which I understand is due out later this year. So this seems like a very good time for us to to talk. So Jamie, we are going to talk in more detail about Frostheart. We'll get onto that in a bit. But before we do that, I'd really love to hear more about your career more, more generally. We mentioned the Phoenix comic earlier on, and obviously illustration is is your thing is that something you've always wanted to do yeah absolutely it's um I've always loved drawing ever since I was able to hold a pencil I've I've drawn I I I used to watch movies and read comics and and you know try and create my own versions of them and I I think I was quite lucky in the sense that I've always been surrounded by art my my dad has worked in animation uh, all of his his adult life and my mum is a graphic designer right so I've always been surrounded by art and art books and and we would always go and see the latest um, animated movie um, so I've it's always been a massive interest of mine and it's, it's something that I didn't tend to think about per se it was just something I did you know it, it was something I, I needed to do I just needed to sit down and create and make hmm. things uh, without thinking too much about it. It, it it was it was just the way I was um it, it wasn't it wasn't until um I'd say towards the end of secondary school um that I really started to think of it as as a possible career um I think before then I, I was always quite interested in in uh, going into film like directing films and uh, stuff like that but when it came to choosing a job I I realized it what I used to do was I used to draw the films I wanted to make so I would I would draw pages and pages and pages of like storyboards which are like you know like comics um, showing how the film would go and and what the characters and are doing and and things like that and um, I was lucky my dad had a camera and he said why don't you go out and fil- try and film one of these films um when I was young and and I I I wasn't actually that appealed by the idea like I went <laughs> out and tried to do it but I, I I slowly realized what it was that I loved was drawing the stories um <laughs> and and it was then that I started to think actually 
maybe that's what I want to be doing is, is someone who can tell stories uh, and, and draw them as well. That's really interesting. So do you think that bringing illustration into storytelling is a good thing for, for children to do generally? Yeah, absolutely. And my primary school, in fact, was actually quite good. I, I remember we we used to do a lot of projects, no matter what the lesson, so be it, be it history or geography or science or, or art, we, we would often uh, be encouraged to include um, um, art and pictures in that. Um, so, so actually, my primary school experience was really good. And, and I always have those fond memories of, I think it's, a, it's quite a primary school thing where you, you have like the best drawer in class and you, you almost gain this kind of celebrity status. And I always remember yeah, yeah. it was between me and, and this, this other guy called Ben. Um, <laughs> and we, we would always have these drawer offs and people would gather around and, uh, and watch, which was really nice because obviously you have like the, uh, the people who are really good at sports or really good at singing or dancing and, and all these different things. So that, that was always my, my go-to thing. But um, well, what we all want to know now, Jamie, is where is Ben now? Where is Ben now? I, yeah, who knows? He is, uh, I, I, <laughs> well, I've actually there you sadly go. lost contact with him a bit. Um, <laughs> yeah, so he, he's probably got a, a, a sterling art career, uh, <laughs> bringing in the big bucks, you know. <laughs> um, I, I hope so, at least. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I always recommend, I think if you enjoy art, if it's, if it's something you enjoy doing, that's, that's the important thing. So, yeah. so doing something you enjoy creating things that that bring happiness to you you know as I was saying earlier that I loved um drawing fantasy and art and and that was something that just gripped me it was just something I loved doing it wasn't something I felt like I had to do and I think anytime kids can kind of bring that into into whatever they're doing I think is is a is a wonderful thing absolutely I wanted to ask you um about working with authors um on illustrating their stories rather than your own and and what the process is for that so for example do you ever have disagreements with the authors do you ever see their story differently from how they want you to see it and and how do you deal with that yeah it's i mean it does vary depending on 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 the book i'm working on i'm always very careful when i'm brought in as the illustrator because um i'm very aware that this the uh, having just written a book myself mm-hmm. where as a, as an author you create this world in these characters and and it means so much to you you know you you almost feel like you know these characters that you've lived in this world and it, it becomes like your your baby it's your it's your it's it's your thing so so i'm very um i try to be very respectful of that i know that the author you know has this this clear vision that they're trying to um put across but saying that i i think in, at least in my experience, most of the authors I work with are more than happy for the illustrators to to put their spin on the world. Um, yeah, I do. I do think it's interesting when you get um, different illustrators working with the same text. And you know, Harry Potter is an obvious case in point. That's had so many iterations, and it's interesting how a different illustrated just takes the story in a slightly different direction takes the characters in a slightly different direction yeah and and as as a as as an illustrator and and someone who loves illustration I I find that really exciting I I like I like the idea that a a book isn't a set thing because obviously when an author writes their their story they've got a really clear vision in their head of what that story is but I think a wonderful thing about books is that it goes out into the world 
And the people who read those books, um, they see they see their own version of that world and those characters. And I think that's just as valid as the author's um, point of view. I, th- I think there's something very personal and lovely about a reader connecting to a story in that way. I think that's what's so good about books that it's, it, it can open imaginations like that. So I think illustrators who have different versions of it, I don't think any version is the correct version. You know, I like to think all of these are the correct version. Um, I think that's a really nice thing. Absolutely. So when did you realise that as well as working with other people's words, you had your own story to tell? Well, again, like um, going back to when I was super young, storytelling was kind of inseparable to, to the artwork. So when I was really young I used to draw loads of comics and storyboards as I was saying earlier um so that was both the story I was telling and the pictures and when I grew older and realized it was a job I wanted to do I always wanted to be an author illustrator that that was what I I I went to university I studied illustration but I I kind of specialized in in children's books and storytelling so that was always my my goal was to to do both, um, but it's quite difficult. It turns out, you know, like say I, I, I used to write. <laughs> who'd have thought? Yeah, who'd have thought, right? <laughs> so I used to I used to um, when 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 I started trying to to get into um, uh, storytelling as a job, I wrote lots of stories and I went to to publishers um, and said, "Look at my story, and here's the pictures that accompany them." And the feedback I always got was that they they liked the story, that it had potential, but it, you know, it wasn't quite working. And at the time, it was a bit of a shock, you know, because the <laughs> two had always gone hand in hand with me. So right. to be told that they really liked the pictures, but weren't quite as keen on the on the words was 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 you know it was, it was quite shocking at the time, <laughs> you know, like um. But I kind of pulled myself together and realized they were right that it it needed my writing did need work drawing kind of came second nature to me and and writing was something that I was going to have to practice at to be good so uh, I, I managed to get a job doing illustration but in the background I was always practicing my writing trying to make it better and um, I got re- lots of rejections I you know I, I sent story after story to publishers and they they were turning them down and I think for good reason I look back on those stories now and, and they are <laughs> They are not very good, so um, they will never see the light of day. But uh, but every time I was getting better, I was listening to their advice. There was a few stories that I just couldn't finish. Like I'm a bit of a butterfly when it comes to ideas. So I'll start an idea, think it's the most brilliant thing ever, start writing it and think, actually, this is the worst thing ever. And I'll <laughs> jump to another idea, which then seems like the best thing ever. And I'll just keep doing that and not finish anything. And I was, I was, I got into a bit of a slump, you know, where I was just like, maybe I'm not cut out to be a writer. Maybe, maybe it's it's not something I'm actually able to do. And I, and I was walking to, I, I I rent a studio in in London where I go to work to do my illustration. And I was walking there one day, and it, it sounds kind of cliche, but I, I I had all these different ideas in my head at the time, things I knew I wanted to do, um, and. Um, suddenly on this walk to work, all these ideas just suddenly flooded into one thing, you know, one idea. I thought, um, you know, characters I'd thought of from another story, situations, um, concepts. I knew I wanted to do a big fantasy adventure. Um, It's something I've always loved um, ever since I read 
Uh, I used to read um, lots of comic books, as I said, and then I read the Red Wall series by Brian Jacks and the, uh-huh. the um, Hobbit by Tolkien. Oh. And ever since then, I've had this love of like big, epic, fancy <laughs> adventures. Um, and yeah, I was just I was walking to work, and all these ideas came, and and I I, I got so excited because faster than I could write notes down on my phone at the time, I, I opened the notes function. I was trying to write down all these notes faster than I could write all the ideas were coming together the situations the storyline and yeah I just ra- ran to work which I don't usually do so that's how you know it was a it was special and <laughs> and it, it ended up being Frostheart was the story I was thinking um uh and I, I I think it was a very special moment because it I don't think I'd ever been that excited about a story um so I I I, I was so excited to write it that it was never a, a worry that I was going to jump to another idea and I, I sent it to the publishers as a half-finished manuscript because I was—I um, started to doubt myself again. I was like, I, I'm, "Is this any good? Are they going to like this?" And, and I got such good feedback to continue that um, that, that I did, and, and, and that ended up being being Frostheart. So, um, yeah, uh, you know, it's, it's that that old adage of uh, practice makes perfect. You know, it's um, it, it's the saying for a reason. I think. Yeah, I think that's a really important thing for the listeners to take away from this, this this idea that, yes, the the first thing you write is not going to be perfect and, and people may say, you know, take it away, you need to work harder at this. Yes, absolutely. But the, as you say, the, the more you write, the, the better you get, the more you learn and the more you listen, the more you learn. And, and you know, you say you were, you were a, a natural artist and, and I, I guess you were, but you worked at your writing and people would now call you, I guess, a natural writer. Absolutely. And, and I think the two, and, and I don't think you ever stop learning. I think it's, it's important not to, you know, so, so my drawing, I, I see other artists who are just so brilliant and, and I'm like, I wish <laughs> I was as good as them. So my drawing needs constant improvement and as does the writing. And I think that goes for everyone on earth, you know, like, no one's ever reached their peak and I think it's 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 a brilliant thing to just keep bringing in new influences and listening to people and what they have to say and, and that can be quite hard sometimes like um, when a teacher tells you that something isn't working uh, it's the same as when you know an editor at a publisher will tell me that my story isn't working and w- when you've put your heart and soul into into something yes that can be quite quite a shock and quite hurtful but it, it usually leads to a good place if you actually take away the the advice and the positives they're putting into it and and you usually can make something better from that that's so true and normally at this point I would pass you a copy of your book and ask <laughs> you to, to read a little for us but thanks to the wonders of technology we are each in our own house today yes however with a bit of advanced planning you should have a copy of the book in front of you, Jamie. I do indeed. I've got mine here. And so in just a moment, it would be great if you could read a scene from Frostheart for us. Let's just pause a minute while we both get on the right page and then we'll come back and we'll hear a little bit of the story. So, Jamie Littler, you're going to read an extract from your book, Frostheart, for the Author in Your Classroom podcast. Now, this is a moment from really early on in the story, isn't it? Yes, it's in the first chapter. So, in in the world of Frostheart, there's uh, all these 
deadly monsters that lurk <laughs> underneath the snows and people are very uh, very frightened to go on there because only the brave or foolish will set foot on the snows because these monsters will burst out and gobble you up so people are forced to live in these these stronghold villages where they they hide you know protected from from the dangers outside um and our main character ash has um accidentally kicked a ball uh onto the snow and he and his friends have um, i love that so much <laughs> it's a it's a classic it's a, everybody can relate to that yeah exactly <laughs> they don't it's, have it's to like live in a world of snow and ice kicking it into your neighbor's back back exactly. garden but if your neighbor, neighbor was a giant monster that would gobble you up <laughs> 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 so they're basically trying to get the ball and uh and uh they have to risk the snows to do so and yeah and this and as as they reach for the ball this this is what happens Snow erupted into the air like water from a geyser. The children staggered back as freezing slush rained down on them. Out of the snow chasm rose three large shapes. Lurkers, Ash gasped, his voice strained with fear. The creatures were wet, sleek and serpentine, longer than two men, with six frost-white eyes that blinked slightly out of order and gaping jaws filled with ice-sharp fangs and drool-slick tongues. Despite their graceless, scrambling gait, they moved with terrible speed, so quick, in fact, it was hard to make sense of their spiny crests, scrabbling claws and whip-long tails. They just looked like a writhing mass of horror to Ash. They've cut him off, Shine screamed, and she was right. The lurkers had blocked Rise's path back to the village and were already racing hungrily towards him. Rise was frozen to the spot in fear. We need to tell the grown-ups, Ash yelled, but he needn't have bothered. A look out on the watchtower above had already seen the commotion. Lurkers, he bellowed. Hunters, to the battlements. Meanwhile, the lurkers were nearly upon Rise, who simply stood there, whimpering in terror. Rise, run, Ash yelled at the top of his voice. This seemed to snap Rise out of his trance. He dropped the ball and began to sprint, trying his hardest to skirt round the approaching lurkers. Suddenly, a hungry, violent noise grew, echoing across the plain, terrifying in its fury. It was the song of the lurkers. Harsh, ragged howls and screeches pierced Ash's ears, and his belly gave a sickening lurch as he felt the hateful emotions of the leviathans. This was a war song. Human. Catch. Kill. Oh, that is so good. When oh, I read you. it the first time, I literally held my breath and I was doing it again just now. <laughs> you you where where did those lurkers come from? <laughs> so it's a it's it's a weird story actually. Like um I, I've always loved monsters. I, I, I love drawing them, I love <laughs> right, reading of course. About them. Yeah, of course, right? You know, it's, they're, they're, they're wonderful things or terrifying things as the case may be. But what it was was that I was, for some reason, I was thinking of the game, um, The Floor is Lava. You know where yes, you yes. can't touch the floor. Um, so you have to yes. clamber over, over furniture or climbing frames or trees or whatever's around you to stay off the floor. And I thought that would be a really cool concept for a, a book idea. Um, I thought, what if there was a world where no one could touch the floor because, you know, dangerous monsters um, lurked, lurked beneath? Um, and that, that was where all the ideas started coming from, really. I thought, well, how would people live in that world? How would they survive? How would they get around? Um, and that's where the ideas of these huge engine-powered sleighs came from, that they, they shoot across the snows just fast enough to outrun the leviathans who are these 
these huge monsters that that hide underneath the snow and and, and try and hunt people. Um, yeah, so it, it weirdly came from a love of monsters and games. Brilliant. And that is such a good way to start writing a story, isn't it? Just to take one idea, you know, what if the floor was made of lava? Absolutely. How how would people manage? What would they do? Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think that, that that's how, at least in my experience and, and, and other uh, authors I've spoken to, the idea comes from the smallest thing. Like you, you may end up with these stories which are really long and hundreds of pages full of characters and stuff. But most ideas come from one idea you know most stories come from one small idea and it, it could just be as simple as that sure. and, and it grows from there as you start to ask questions about it absolutely now I this this may sound a bit odd but go with me <laughs> I think Frostheart is a very noisy book yeah <laughs> obviously at the heart of it you've you've got you've, you've got trust me go go with me honestly so Ash the, the hero his his singing is obviously really important and then you've got music threaded all the way through but if you look back at the piece that you just read it's full of sounds you've got scrabbling screaming ragged howls screeches is sound something you're really conscious of as a, as a writer yeah I, I guess or did so. I just I, reveal something you didn't know <laughs> I, I, I knew that I wanted it to be quite a frantic um story you know with like very fast paced to because it's it's an adventure set on on a on a moving vessel, a vessel that's shooting across the snow. I wanted to keep this sense of movement throughout the story, um, but I, yeah, I, th- I think what it might be in in honesty is that I love I love films, I love animation, um, yeah. and I I kind of see my stories moving like a like a movie in my head, um, and I have these when I'm writing or drawing for that matter. I actually always have um I have these playlists of songs I, I listen to like um often like soundtracks and movies and video games um that really get get me in the in the in the, the zone uh to for those scenes and I think that comes in and I can hear the characters voices and the the sound effects that would be going on and I, I just try and put that in the book so it hopefully feels like the reader is there you know like seeing this happen in front of them and, and experiencing it I think it is. I think I'm getting a soundtrack yeah. when, when I read because it's it's so visual. <laughs> I wanted to do a thing where I say, like, share my playlist and say, start playing the playlist at this moment and read the book at this speed so the soundtrack can kind oh, of... Oh, that would be so good. Readers. Yeah, that would be so cool. Are you sure you don't want to do films? You just, you just can't <laughs> yeah. bother to do the last I think bit. that part of me's never quite gone. <laughs> um, and your characters, your characters are really vivid to I mean Ash is just adorable but I fell in love with Luna and Captain Nook and and especially the grumpy guardian Tobu yeah Tobu how did you make oh he's he's just lovely (laughs) but how did you make each of them so distinct and so real did 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 they start with illustrations when I'm drawing books for other authors, it always starts with the illustrations but because this is the first time I wrote I wrote the story as well um, it was kind of at the same time. So as I was figuring things out, I have a notebook and my notebook is full of notes, funnily enough. And next to these <laughs> notes, loads of sketches, some of them so rough and squiggly, only I could probably understand what I've drawn. Yeah. But it, um, it, it's just trying to get the ideas down. And um, as soon as I start thinking of characters that might be there, I start 
writing things about them, what they might be like. And I start drawing little sketches of what I think they could look like. So it kind of happens at the same time. Um, sometimes I'll make characters that don't even appear in the book. Sometimes character to like two or three characters will become one character. You know, you, 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 things change as the story goes, but it's all happening in that notebook and, and with sketches. When you, are, when you do start writing, when, when you're actually pulling the words together, how carefully do you need to think about, about the language you use? So, for example, in a, the extract that you read, um, a couple of times you use, and again, I don't know if this was deliberate or um, it's just a natural writing form, but you, you use the rule of three twice to describe the monsters. So they're wet, sleek and serpentine. And they have yeah. spiny crests, scrabbling claws and whip-long tails. And that rhythm sort of flows throughout the writing. Is that something you're aware of? Yeah, partially. I, I can't remember where I heard that, but I definitely remember that, that um, <laughs> if, if you really want to emphasise something, that doing it in threes really helps. I think it might have been at school. We were once doing a, a, a speech. You did learn class. something at school that was useful. Yeah. <laughs> and I seem to remember that it was something that if you really want to get a point across you know repeat it in three ways and I think that for some reason that's just stuck with me but I think you're right I think something I really love especially about children's books is they they can almost be like songs you know they, they've got this rhythm to them yes um, which I, I think like, at least my favorite my favorite children's books they they're fun to read because they they have a rhythm and they make you want to turn the page. And I find that they they tend to be a, a little bit more um, expressive about what's going on. So they'll they'll tell you more about the sound effects or how how the character feels like they're you know if they're feeling excited or a bit sick or if it's cold or it really it feels like you're there. It really puts you in in the the the, the shoes of the character and. It, it was something I really wanted to put into my book that I wanted it to be fun to read. I didn't want it to be to be boring. I wanted it to to be exciting and and feel like there's a pace pushing you along that, that there's that you want to keep turning the page. What what you're saying there feeds into again what the young people listening will be told all the time at school, which is show don't tell, show don't tell. So bring in different senses to to put the reader into the picture. Yeah, that's a really important thing. I remember learning that. You learn that a lot in school, I think. And it's, I would say, maybe the most um, valuable lesson is, is, is show, don't tell. There's nothing more boring than just having everything written. This happened and this happened and this happened. Yeah. Because it, it almost sounds like a shopping list or something. <laughs> yes. I think like trying to be really expressive and make, make it sound explosive if it's an action scene or, or try and really show how a character's feeling without having to tell the readers. I think that's, the read, readers, especially children, are intelligent people. And I think you, you don't need to tell them everything. I think, I think readers will understand that, what you're trying to say. If, if, if you're accurately showing how a character feels, then, you know, there's, there's more exciting ways to tell those things. Well, you are certainly a master at telling an exciting story and keeping the reader excited. I know that when I got to the end of Frostheart, I instantly wanted to grab the next instalment of Ash's Adventures so I could find out what was coming afterwards. So let's pause again just for a moment and then perhaps we can have a little sneak preview into where Ash's journey might be taking him next. Next. 
welcome back to Author in Your Classroom with Jamie Littler. So, Jamie, as we discussed earlier, there is a second instalment of your Frostheart series on the horizon. Are you able to give us any clues without any spoilers for the people who haven't read the first issue yet as to what happens next? Yeah, I'll do my best. It's, it's, <laughs> um, I'm really excited about it. I'm, it, it. It really picks up the pace. So if we thought the first book was, was fast paced, I think the, the second book even more so. Oh, wow. Ash is continuing his, his search for his missing parents. Um, he's, he's following a lullaby that is leading him through the world and it's led him to Aurora, which is, it's basically the center of the world of Frostheart. It's, it's, it's this huge, huge stronghold city built inside an ancient, um, volcano. Um, and it's where loads of the different clans and strongholds meet. So it's full of weird and wonderful characters and people. So Ash is really out of his depth here. And he, he slowly begins to realise that there's, there's a bigger story at play in, in the snow sea, in the world of Frostheart, that, that something big is stirring on the horizon, a big, a big storm, shall we say. And Ash and the Frostheart crew are in danger of getting wrapped up in it. Obviously, Ash is just trying to continue to, to become a better song weaver and, and continue to search for his parents. But... He, it looks like he's, it's going to be impossible to avoid being brought into this, this big conflict that's about to erupt across the world. Oh, I can't wait. Okay. It, yeah, it, that is just going to be amazing. So we're almost out of time. Oh, man. I know. It, I, where did it go? Um, but I did just want to ask you one more thing, which is listening to this will be lots of young people and many of them might have in their mind that maybe one day they want to be an, an illustrator or an author or quite possibly both. If you had any advice for them, what would it be? I, I think is to make sure you have fun. I think that is, there's a lot to be said for that. I think if you're doing something because you feel like you should or you have to, there's nothing that's going to put you off faster. I think, I think that that came when I was writing Frostheart is that I was having so much fun doing it. And, and hopefully it shows in, in the story and in the drawings that I, I liked doing it. I, I would look forward to waking up in the morning and doing it. And I think if you can just keep going keep working at it, but make sure you're having fun doing it, then your love, your passion will come through in your, in your work, in your drawings, in your writing, or whatever you're doing. I think as long as you're passionate and trying hard, it will come through in what you do. That's fantastic advice, Jamie. So I really hope that this podcast will inspire listeners to well, to read Frostheart if they haven't already. And also that the free resources pack that's available from Presume to go with this episode might inspire some incredible fantasy writing too. Thank you so much for being my guest on Author in Your Classroom, Jamie. It's been so much fun. And well, here's to a time when we might be able to talk to you again, but maybe face to face next time. Absolutely. It's been great. Thanks so much for having me. And uh, thanks for listening, everyone. It's, it's been really fun. It really has. Thanks, Jamie. Take care. Take care.
Author in Your Classroom is brought to you by Plazoom, where we are passionate about making great literacy lessons easy with inspiring, ready-to-go resources created by teachers to cover the whole of the primary curriculum. So, whether you're a teacher desperate for SATS revision that pupils will actually enjoy, a parent just as baffled by fronted adverbials as your child, or anyone looking for fun ways to keep children reading and writing during the summer holidays, we've got hundreds of brilliant ideas to explore. Take a look for yourself at plazoom.com, where you can sign up to our newsletter and be the first to find out about our special offers and the new resources that are added to the site every single week. Every episode of Author in Your Classroom is packed with writing advice and inspiration from some of the world's best-loved children's writers. Plus, there are free activities and worksheets based on each author's work to spark children's imagination on plazoom.com. Just check the episode notes for links and more. You can subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. We want to reach as many pupils in as many classrooms as possible, so please do give us a rating or a review, but above all, tell your colleagues about us and help spread the word. We know that a love of reading opens doors, not just to success at school and beyond, but to a lifetime of excitement, adventure and discovery. Let us help you make it happen with Author in Your Classroom and Plazoom.